0: hi everyone everyone. i'm john
1: and i'm georgia and we're here inside
0: your ears to
1: talk about the mac and cheese of movies
0: this This is is comfort Comfort Films.
1: films all right welcome to episode 20 of comfort films two zero eternal sunshine of the spotless mind
0: what a film
1: What a movie. Yeah, Yeah. this is our Valentine's Day episode.
0: And who knew that actually had to do with Valentine's Day? We did not. We haven't seen this one in a while, I guess. No, I had great memories of it, which is funny because it's a movie about erasing your memories.
1: Which is hilarious and true, but I had the same thing. I remember this movie being awesome. Mm -hmm. I do have to say, in my opinion, very simply, that was borne out by a rewatch.
0: Oh, man. This
1: movie is super awesome.
0: Yeah, every two seconds, was like, Georgia, this is so amazing. This is even more amazing than I can remember. We had
1: to, like, muzzle ourselves to yeah. quit not talk to each other during the movie and save it for the podcast because we're both so interested and excited about this awesome movie. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it was super weird because, yeah, we were like, oh, we got, you know, you want to pick a movie about romance or love or something yeah. for the Valentine's Day episode. But we for didn't, the kids. Yeah, for the kids. <laughs> for the kids, you know? The young kids. Right? Love it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> but we didn't want to pick necessarily a romantic comedy because we've kind of done that.
0: Yeah, we're like, all right. We're like you know over mean? it. Yeah, it's like, I guess. No, we're you know? not. We
1: love that stuff. We'll probably I mean, watch yeah, those, like, you know, constantly. But we kind of wanted to pick something a little bit different. And I think we had the memory of this being. A really good movie about a relationship. And I would say that we were correct about remembering that. Yeah. Um, and it's just really a well done movie. So it's kind of a treat to talk about something this good, this kind of unique yeah. and different. That's also, you know, about love and relationship and what love is. Um, and such good acting, directing, writing, like everything about this movie is really, really good and I'm super impressed, um, with watching it again.
0: Me too. It's a technical marvel. Yeah. I will say this is a piece of art and I mean that genuinely. I mean, general
1: synopsis of this movie is that you have these characters, Joel, played by Jim Carrey. Clementine, played by Kate Winslet. They date and live together, I assume, for a while. Um, And then they kind of have a difficult breakup. Yeah. And... Harsh. He still loves her and kind of goes to see her Mm -hmm. and finds that she doesn't recognize him. Um, So he goes to visit... I'm assuming they're his friends... Rob. Yeah, Rob and Carrie are his friends. And Carrie. I mean, she kind of had a sisterly thing in a way, somewhat. I I wasn't sure if they were, like, related, but I think they are just friends.
0: I think they are just friends, but I could see with the Carrie character possibly being a sister. um, But, yeah, it just seemed like they they were his friends.
1: They end up telling him that she's gone to have this procedure done where they actually remove someone from your memory Mm -hmm. and so she's had joel removed from her memory yeah and he she's an impulsive person so this is kind of normal type of behavior for her i broke up with this person i don't want to think about them anymore i'm gonna get them taken out of my head yeah um joel is very hurt by this Mm -hmm. and out of that pain he decides to do the same thing And while it's happening, he starts to regret that decision and starts fighting back against it. And that's where this movie just goes into, like, amazingness territory to me. Um, With both the filmmaking and the story and the relationship between the characters. Mm -hmm. It's just a really phenomenal kind of film. And um, at the end, spoiler alert... You know we spoil on the show. Big time. Um, But at the end, it turns out that this kind of scene that you've seen at the very beginning of the film, before the credits even came up, is actually set in the time after they've had their memories erased. But they've come back together and met again, as if they never knew each other. And they just have this feeling they've been drawn together. Yep. Um, We find out, you know, they find out what they have done. They're upset about it, but then they kind of decide to give it another go. Yep. Which is a lovely and upbeat kind of ending. Not actually what was intended for this movie, I found out.
0: That's interesting. The
1: trivia says that there were times where they were going to have it be that they had had this uh, procedure done many times. Wow. To delete each other from their minds, but... I think that might have ruined the movie for me. So I'm really glad they went with this direction.
0: I'm really glad they did too. Because the whole reason that I like this movie is it ends with them giving it another shot. And that's what you wanted. Because you see during the film that they definitely have their arguments. And they definitely have things that they need to work through. But they love each other. They love each other in the type of way that they will stay together and they will work it through. Yeah. And you believe that because they go through literally having someone burn out their brain to remove the memory of the other one. Yet that love is so strong that they are still able to go back and and reconnect. You know, Joel, one of his last memories in his head is... He sees Clementine in in his memory, in his mind, and she says, you know, meet me in Montauk. And he has this sudden urge the following day, after they've erased his mind, to go to Montauk.
1: Immediately. Yes. You know, they've just erased his memory. The people who did the procedure are just leaving his apartment. Yes. And that very morning, he decides... Like just on the spur of the moment to go to Montauk, and they both happen to meet up there, um, so it just it's just this really beautiful thing about how these people love each other so much that it's almost more than you know conscious. It's like a subconscious thing, which I think is amazing.
0: It's well, and I also love how their relationship is illustrated. By the seats on the train. Because you have these reds and you have these blues. And you can tell that this is a relationship that burns very hot or very cold. Yeah. Just by, you know, what we see of their relationship.
1: Well, and they don't, I mean, I think that their main problem ends up being that they don't really communicate Yeah. very well. Like, they have hidden resentments and things like that that they don't discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel tends to be, I think, a kind of very closed up kind of person Yeah, where he's not necessarily talking about all of his feelings. And Clementine is very, in my opinion, oversensitive in that she kind of takes everything as an insult. So they kind of have this block where it's really difficult for them to progress. Mm -hmm. And like the hope is that this process where they are kind of forced at the end to share everything that they feel about each other and everything that bothers them about each other could kind of be the gateway to accepting each other and improving their relationship in the future.
0: Completely agree. That's that's what's so funny, is they go out of their way to just delete, you know what I mean? Just yeah. delete their memory of each other. And in the end, it turns out to be this amazing, immersive therapy session (laughs) Uh, yeah
1: yeah i i just i don't know it's it's just really cool and i just think there's so much being said with this movie Mm -hmm. there's a lot about relationships obviously there's a lot about like almost grief like the two of them are in a grief state almost after they've had this procedure done yeah um it's like they don't remember what they've lost but they've lost something so important to them and it's just left this huge hole which is kind of funny because uh lacuna is the name of the company that does the procedure Mm -hmm. and lacuna i think the word actually means like a hollowed out space oh and that's you know, Lacuna is thinking, oh, we're, we're making this hollowed out empty space that you can fill with new things. But all Clementine and Joel can feel is the emptiness of that space where the other one used to be. It's It's just so intricately done.
0: Well, I also have to say it's like ECT. It's like electroshock therapy. Where you have people that have these extremely painful memories. They have this heavy depression they can't break out of. And they go electively to the doctor and say, can you please get this out of my head? By just running this heavy electric current through my brain, which is what we have here. Yeah, And, um, you know, that's something that I, I thought about more this time because of this, this, depression the that, depression that
1: they have. yeah the depression thing in this is very big mm-hmm. um that was one of the things i definitely wanted to highlight because i think that your connection to the ect thing makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. i think there's also kind of a metaphor around depression and antidepressants mm. um okay. here because I am not, this is like super not my opinion in any way. I don't have any experience taking antidepressants. I don't know anything about it. Anybody who takes antidepressants should keep taking them, <laughs> you know. But what I'm thinking that this makes me think about is how I have heard before that people who have taken antidepressants and didn't like it mm-hmm. have said that it it kind of dulls their feeling oh, altogether. Oh, okay. Um, and this kind of felt like that. Like, you know, they chose to have this procedure so that they could not feel, but it didn't actually help them not feel. It just disconnected them from the reason they have that feeling. Wow. Well done. So that's, you know, what I thought about with this and how it isn't working but there also is kind of a thing about like psychotropics here Mm -hmm. because the the whole experience of having your mind you know pieces of it deleted in this Mm -hmm. is kind of feels like a little trippy you know sure because there's points where um when he's trying to find a place to hide clementine he's like going to his childhood so there's this you know jim carrey as a little boy shrunk down to a small size but it's still jump carry right and his he acts like a little kid but also not and it's it is trippy that's the only word i can come up with here
0: well i also have to say everyone that works for lacuna they're almost like godlike if, if you look at that because you go to these people and you say can you help me and it's like you have to talk to Dr. Mears-Riak. yeah
1: yeah
0: and that's Tom Wilkinson. And basically it's almost like a confession that it you is. have to give. You have to tell him all of the details of why you want to delete this memory, right. Yeah. And then you get all the physical belongings or anything that reminds you of this person and you give it to these people and they're gonna you know magically make it go away. Yeah. But what you also have, Is that the people that work for this organization? Not all of them are serious about their work.
1: No, and they're kind of like, (laughs) this is kind of something we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. is like how bad it feels like when you go to somebody that you have to trust to do something, and they're just like regular people who aren't really that good at their job. Right. This is actually an experience I've had. I went to a therapist, I needed to talk some issues through. And the person just wasn't very good at their job. Yeah. And it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. And I'm supposed to be trusting this person with my, you know, deep, you know, intimate information about myself. And they're kind of like terrible psychotherapists. <laughs> my experience was that I was experiencing a grief process. And I was talking to psychotherapists. And every time I would get emotional, the person would just tell me to stop. And just stop talking and start breathing. (laughs) And I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. not everybody listening to this podcast knows me, but talking is my way of dealing with emotions. Like I have to kind of intellectualize things and talk through them so that I can understand them. And her thing was always just like, no, you have to stop talking. Stop intellectualizing. You just need to feel this in the moment. And honestly, all I felt was pissed yeah. at this person for stopping me from processing what I was processing yeah. to do some stupid, you know, exercise that she thought was going to help me. So like, huh. it's just, you know, it's difficult because you want to trust these people. Right. You should be able to, but they are just regular people or not even quite as good as regular people no and it's very frustrating especially in a medical setting or like you know mental health setting because you are looking for help and that was kind of the situation here
0: that when we actually see the first time we see stan right and that is mark ruffalo in the office he's with a patient and she has this apparatus on her head and she's screaming at the top of her lungs and she's crying and he doesn't care at all about her pain.
1: It's just par for the course. Yeah,
0: it's just like, yeah. oh, hey, uh, good to meet you. My name's Stan. I work here. Yeah. yeah it's
1: just trash. It, it's basically an MRI machine. Like, I, the, the thing I kind of also like about this movie is that the science fiction is kind of very light on the touch. Like, you're not going into, like, a really clinical... scientific explanation of what's going on. No. It's like you know, they just put your head into an MRI machine or a CT scan machine. I just had this done to myself for my sinuses like a week ago. Um, It's the same thing but a small version. So (laughs) they put you in this machine. They're taking a picture of the inside of your head and showing you objects that remind you of the person and that lights up parts of your brain which allows them to create this map to go in and erase what they need to erase. Um, This is not a real thing, but I love that they didn't even bother. It's just fully accepted that you can go to this really low-rent office, kind of a nightmare-looking place, in my opinion. It looks like an apartment. If I went to a doctor's office like that, I would be very nervous. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they check you out, whatever. And I kind of, one of the things that really stuck out to me this time is when Joel is talking to Dr. Mirziak, he's like, so this doesn't cause like brain damage or anything, right? And Dr. (laughs) Mirziak is like, I mean, well, it kind of is brain damage (laughs) because basically they're destroying parts of your brain. So, I don't know about you, but if I went into, like, a kind of a not-super-organized, clean office that seemed like it was just a bunch of barely-out-of-their-teens people doing important, you know, work on people's brain, Yeah, I might choose to run the other way, screaming.
0: Well, you would have done the right thing. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's not any question with that because Joel gets this procedure done in his apartment by these two employees, Stan and Patrick. And Stan is Mark Ruffalo, and he he's kind of he does his job, but it's just like the bare minimum, he's, and the, yeah,
1: kind of a slacker. Yes, yeah.
0: And then you have Patrick, who's Elijah Wood. Who just seems like just a bad person?
1: He kind of feels scummy from yeah. the minute you meet him, mm-hmm. even though you don't know how scummy he is right. until a little while later. This was just like the era of Scummy Elijah Wood or something kind of because like this was, 04 and I think like Sin City was 05. Oh, he was so and scary, and he was in really that. creeptacular in that too. Yes, he was. So, I don't know, Elijah Wood maybe just trying to break out of, you know, Frodo and, and stuff, <laughs> or break out of, like, the kid actor mold, because he came from being a child actor. But he's basically <laughs> done something, in my opinion, that's a huge violation of privacy, ethics, and human decency, basically, which is that When they were deleting Clementine's memories the week before, he, quote, fell in love with her, which is not possible because she's asleep, okay, through the whole thing. Basically, he becomes obsessed with her, steals all of this, you know, memorabilia of her relationship with Joel, and uses that to ingratiate himself with her and to start dating her. And it's only been a week. He's talking about her being his girlfriend. He's telling her he loves her. He's giving her a gift that Joel had actually bought for Clementine. um, And pretending that he bought it for her. Super
0: gross. It's the lowest.
1: And, you know, fortunately, she's just turned off by it completely uh, by the end of the movie. But, you know, she's been dating this guy. We assume she's, like, been intimate with this guy. Yeah um which so, is, oh that's so oh, nasty god you don't even want to dig into that too much
0: no no i just yeah let's just water ski over yeah that.
1: it's rapey so oh god yeah that's it's not
0: enough sad yeah we you get the idea elijah wood super creep yeah. is what we've got and he is going after clementine full force he is such a fucking scumbag <laughs> Yes, I said it. (laughs) Well, you're right. He's vile. That he is actually talking to Clementine on the phone in Joel's apartment when he is getting this procedure done. Yeah,
1: he's deleting Joel's memories and talking to Clementine. Yeah. And he actually leaves the procedure on Joel to go over to see Clementine. Yeah. Um, And then also, you know, so then you have Stan, who's kind of a slacker and kind of maybe just a regular guy who's kind of like, eh, but kind of knows how to do the job. Mm -hmm. But Mary, who's kind of this girl he's interested in, who also works as a receptionist at the office, comes over to hang out with him and spend time with him. And you know they're just getting high, eating food. <laughs> yeah, they're laying dancing. in the bed next to him,
0: dancing yeah. on the bed, on next the
1: bed him. while Joel is sleeping and having his memory deleted. Yeah, and then they have sex in the room yep. while Joel is there. And then, of course, you know, Stan realizes that while you know he's been doing anything but what he's supposed to be doing, Joel's kind of mental deletion process has gone off track. Mm-hmm. And this is because Joel is fighting back against the procedure so hard. And and what they've decided to do, Joel and the inside his head, Clementine, is try to hide her um, by going into these different areas where she shouldn't be. Yeah. And one of the touching things about that to me was that when, when dream or mental Clementine came up with that idea Mm -hmm. because she's the one who suggested it to joel in his mind he said like um i can't remember anything without you Mm. and that just reminded me of like something that we've talked about and it's like when you're so kind of like intertwined with someone yeah and you've been with somebody for a long time you just have like such a connection to them that sometimes it is hard to remember anything before you were with that person. Yeah. Like, you'll all you'll say to me sometimes, oh, I remember when this happened, and it's something that happened in high school or something.
2: Yeah, I do that. And
1: I think about you the same way. Like, I'll remember, you know, things that happened to me and not realize that, you know, I didn't even know you then, and it's just weird. And that's kind of, you know, the situation they had in this movie, too. So I thought that was really awesome because that's the way brains work like memories are not scientific you know
0: well i mean i think they really make a joke with that because when you look at the display when the technician is working on deleting your memories it looks like a video game you know it's just like you're zapping these dots yeah i mean it's like
1: it's like old I don't know, like 80s graphics on the computers.
0: Like Space Invaders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's up there with that.
1: Or like that. I used to have this video game. I had a, a CD-ROM that was like 99 games in one. Oh, I loved those. I did too. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, they would crash like 90% of the time. But when <laughs> you could actually play one of them, it was super awesome. I played through the entirety of like this Crystal Caverns.
0: Oh, that's a fun game. Little game. Mm-hmm
1: but the other one of the things on there was like this surgery game where you would like do surgery oh yeah and it was very limited like basically you just have to do like an ultrasound mm-hmm. of the person's stomach and you could see if they have a kidney stone or you know if you needed to operate or whatever so it was funny though because you would start cutting you know into this person and you could well if you were a horrible person like I was I was. You could just start cutting them without anesthetizing, and they would just scream, and it was hilarious, and the game would be over.
0: High five. <laughs> I <laughs> did the same thing. It was just
1: hilarious. I did the same thing, you have and to. then you would hear them
0: scream, like, oh. They no, would <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: man. It was so funny, though, but my game would always crash anyway before I could even get through the procedure. Sure. Like, I would be able to cut, and then. When I put the spreader into open, the game would just crash. So I never could get past that point. So a lot of times, if I got to the point where I had the person and they had to have surgery, I would just start cutting and like make the scream and then let it be over. It was funny.
0: It was totally funny, and I never like wanted to go through all the steps of doing the proper examination oh. or surgery. I was like, let's just do this guy. Just give him the antibiotics
1: <laughs> and let him. Like we would be great doctors, like these Lacuna people.
0: Would oh be right gosh. on track with that. Well, that that's something that I'll say that surprised me. Okay, is the system never crashed? We did have a situation where uh, Stan was saying he was low on power, so Patrick was checking all the connections because uh, you know he said he Stan said he wasn't able to wipe Joel's brain as clean as he usually would, mm-hmm. but we didn't have like a total system malfunction.
2: No, and I
0: gotta tell you, I, I felt like the the chandelier or a toilet bowl or whatever that was that they yeah it looked on like a head.
1: colander like that yeah. you strain spaghetti in that's well, what it looked like it probably was that
0: well it it's like it's like a Marlon Brando thing <laughs> like when he was in uh, Island of Doctor Moreau. He, like, just picked up... A story I heard is he picked up, like, a salad bowl, and he just put it on his head, he goes, let's shoot. You know what I mean?
1: That sounds like Marlon Brandt. Yeah,
0: just, I mean, and that's the kind of fun that we have here. And this movie references the fact that it's punk rock. Like, they have a discussion Mm -hmm. about the The clash, clash. right? You know, Stan and Mary, you know, they get high, you know, on the bed next to Joel... And, you know, they actually have, like, a plate of food. I think there's, like, a bagel. A donut. It's a Is it a donut? Okay. Yeah. And, like, Joel's hand looks like it's kind of near it. It's really <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, they're talking about the clash, and they're talking about, you know, how are they were these rebels, and they were amazing. And so I, I feel like it's... It's it's referencing. Yeah. Because Michelle Gondry, I I didn't realize this. That's I'm, the
1: director of the movie. I don't think we've said that yet. Oh
0: no, we have not. Yeah. So Michelle Gondry, the director of the movie, he actually directed quite a few music videos. Oh, okay. Did you, I didn't know? I didn't,
1: but like I can really see the style um, in this He's got a really good command of color. Mm-hmm. Um, the colors in this are great. I mean, yeah. even just if you think about Clementine's hair colors,
0: love her hair. They're color.
1: great. Um, and I know just from reading the background of the movie that a lot of the shooting and a lot of the way it was done, like it is, a, it was a scripted film. Charlie Kaufman wrote it. it Who's actually quite a good screenwriter. Wrote adaptation, which we liked as well. Haven't yep. seen that one in a while, Mm-mm. but I would love to rewatch that as well. But there was also just a lot of room left for improvisation. Okay. And especially with uh, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey to work together to kind of find rhythms and find things to talk about, which I think really paid off because their relationship feels very real. Um, They have great chemistry and it's. It's so crazy because I'm just going off in a bunch of different directions. But, like, they're playing, I think they're kind of playing against type here. Jim Carrey is usually, like, this outrageous kind of, you know, funny, extroverted, loud kind of guy. Yeah. Kate Winslet is usually the cerebral kind of quiet person, um, kind of reserved. But in this, she's kind of the outgoing, you know, person. And he's very, like, diffident and shy, and I don't think I've ever liked him more. And I like Jim Carrey in a lot of things. Same here. But I don't think I've ever liked him more or thought he was doing a better job than I did in this movie.
0: Fully agree. That That's the thing that I kept saying to you as we were watching it. This is my favorite thing I've ever seen Jim Carrey do. And 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 that's a high bar. Sure is. Because he is a very talented guy. I mean, we saw him, you know, in Living Color, right? We would watch all that. We loved that show. Once Bitten.
1: yeah. I mean. Earth Girls are easy. I mean, just going all the way back Mm -hmm. to some really broad comedy type things. But, like, Truman Show.
0: I love Truman Show. Wonderful
1: movie. He's so good in it. Mm -hmm. Um, The Majestic, I don't know if I necessarily love the movie as a whole, but he's great in it.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic performance.
1: Um, I remember just little, small role that he had in Simon Birch, Mm -hmm. where he kind of played, like, the adult, grown-up version of the kid from the main storyline mm-hmm. i adored him and that it was a very small part but it was so great and so well done he's just done so much there's not a lot of things that i would say i don't like jim Carrey in, and he is very capable of playing serious oh yeah i mean you know you kind of have an interesting connection to this movie um yeah. in in a way as well because something we haven't really talked about much, I think, over the course of the 20 episodes. 20 episodes! 20.
0: Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Same to you. Yes. As um, John is an actor, um, and one of the jobs that he's had recently, not that recently, but it feels recent, was a uh, part on the show Kidding on Showtime. Um, Kidding was a show that starred Jim Carrey Mm -hmm. and the episode that you were in was actually directed by Michelle Gondry who directed Eternal Sunshine Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that experience or about that show but it was another Jim Carrey kind of serious very serious role
0: yes yeah. the, the show Kidding was about Jim Carrey playing a character named Jeff Pickles and he was like a children's Uh, television show host and his life was just falling apart and he was trying to hold it together. And so it it had a lot of very serious themes running through it. And I was on for an episode playing a history teacher to his son, Will, and it was so amazing because Michelle Gondry... This movie is something that always, you know, has, has been in my mind. And I've also really enjoyed so much of his other work as well. I'm a huge fan of Be Kind, Rewind.
1: Yeah, that's a great movie. And it's another movie that feels very off the cuff. Yeah. Like Eternal Sunshine feels kind of like that as well. Kidding did not feel like
0: that. Well, I mean, when I was there, I mean... So I played a history teacher, and we showed up at a school that was actually a school that was in session in Los Angeles, and the particular classroom that we were working in, uh, there were two classrooms. One was kind of like a green room, and one was the actual room that we, we shot in. When I went in, and I was introduced to Michelle Gondry, I kept it cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm you impressed
1: know? by that. That would have been hard.
0: Yes. I mean, you know, I, I have my... My times where I can really just hold it together with my excitement. And then other times I'm like full Tommy boy. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't help it. Oh, my God. But with him, I kept it really cool. And it was two scenes. And I interacted with Will Pickles, who was Jeff Pickles' son. So, Jim Carrey's son on the show. And the son was stoned.
1: Yeah. And...
0: It was a very funny scene because, you know, I was just like your regular run-of-the-mill history teacher, you know, and I had, uh, I had a test for them. And then I wanted Will to do the extra credit. Um, and the extra credit is that I was sitting at my desk eating my lunch, and he took ketchup and put it on his face And then he actually took the the page that had the extra credit assignment and just put his face on it and then just put it in the bin.
1: Because the question was, um, draw a self-portrait or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he just did it with ketchup and printing his face onto the paper.
0: (laughs) Which was really funny. Because he was
1: stoned and also emotionally having some issues because that was like the background of the story. But, you know, it was really an interesting show.
0: Yeah. And yeah. That,
1: do you remember which episode? Was it two?
0: Yes. It was episode two of the first season, and the name of the episode, let's see if I say it right, Pusillanimous? Pus- Pusillanimous. Thank you. Yeah. That so. was That was a word that I had never heard before. <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh, what is, what is this <laughs> what word? So I, I mean, but Michelle Gondry was very cool. So there, there were scripted lines that I had. And then he also really encouraged me to improv and act outside of the box. And that was, you know, a dream come true, getting to play with, you know, someone that, that it's a hero in your mind. Yeah. He's like, Hey, why don't you try the line a different way? Why don't you try it? Like you're good friends with the kid. Do You <laughs> know what I mean? And so we tried all these different ways of me interacting with, with this actor who was very good, by the way. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a crazy day and it was the first day that I ever ate a Reuben sandwich, (laughs) because there was a Reuben sandwich that was in the scene, and I was very excited to get to try that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you just had to keep eating it. I mean, do you ever want to have a Reuben again, or are you like, I'm good on this now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was actually really excited at the time, and I continued to be excited about a Reuben, so I I would totally do that again. And there were some French fries. I mean, I had the whole thing, you know? And there was, like, a soda. And they're like, what kind of soda would you like? Like, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, you but know what I mean? I'm not used to this. That's like, funny. I was like, I thought water in the cup would have been cool. But I, <laughs> you know, I got to choose soda. You That's know what I really mean as cool. well? That's cool. That's fun. Yeah. So it was, like, it was a very good experience. And when it was over, when we had finished, you know, I was, you know, walking away and Michelle Gondry was walking away and there was part of me it's like go talk to him go <laughs> say something get a picture with him and then i was like no man <laughs> you be cool be cool and so i i think i did the right thing but with, it's
1: also hard to feel that way you got the regret but yeah i think you probably did the right thing cuz he probably still had work to
0: do i'm sure he did yeah. and it was well the best thing about this is a million years ago <laughs> Before I knew who Michelle Gondry was, I remember someone talking to me. They're like, yeah, I saw this film by Michelle Gondry. And I was like, you know, I know what's up, right? I was like, oh, yeah, she's great. (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, I was dead to rights.
1: I love it. So we told a cool story about you, and you're like, let me undercut this by showing that I was kind of a D-bag.
0: Right? I was just like, I know. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. But getting to work with an amazing director like this is an experience that I'll never forget. And it was everything that you always wanted. You know? It's like, I'm not an athlete, but it's like playing catch with your hero. You know, whoever that is, because I really don't know sports guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, you know, it's just like that. Just throwing around the pig skin with you insert name here. Well,
1: I thought it was super cool because, I mean, you didn't meet Jim Carrey or whatever, but Mm -hmm. because you weren't in the scene with him. But the call sheet, he was on it. And also, like, in the actual episode when we were watching it, like, your scene is happening, and then it cuts to a scene with, like, Jim Carrey and Catherine Keener. Wow. And I was like, well, it doesn't get much cooler than that.
0: No, I mean, ugh, Catherine so it was like Keener. a dream. Yeah, that entire cast is just like a dream cast. Yeah. Like, and Jella, really? Oh, Amazing. my gosh. Oh,
1: man, he's good in everything. Ugh, Robot and Frank, what?
0: Oh, yeah. What a great one. Yeah,
1: so... That is an awesome experience. Yeah. And it's really cool to kind of have that connection to this movie, which is such a good movie.
0: Yeah. I, well, it, it it's like when I watch it, I just am like, wow. I'm like, you were kind of close to this. <laughs> yeah. Because you got to work with the director and the lead actor. Yeah. I was like, whoa. It, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. It, it feels great. It feels great. And also when I look back at all the music videos he, he's directed, He's directed some very cool music videos. the The first video that came to mind was uh, "Knives Out" by Radiohead, mm. and
1: oh, Radiohead's good.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's really the one that that stuck out to me. I was like, "Wow!" Well, Radiohead. I can see
1: how his style would really mesh well with Radiohead. Yeah, I mean, the music in this movie itself is also really cool. Mm-hmm. Like the end song is great but just like some of the scores great. Um, and one thing that they had in the movie that they took out, according to the trivia, was mm. that Clementine and Joel kind of bonded over Rain Dogs.
0: I saw the Rain Dog CD very quickly when he brought in all the objects that he wanted to, delete yeah and i was like hey wasn't that the rain dog scene? and there was
1: a whole deal where like the two of them really loved that album Mm -hmm. which i thought was amazing because that's one of john's favorites yeah such a good one love to like he always listens to the record if we have rain in la which is so rare Mm -hmm. but whenever it happens this john breaks out the record and listens to it and so that's just another like personal connection that you kind of have with this movie
0: well and tom waits I mean, to go off a little bit, Tom Waits has so much expression in his voice. And sometimes, I mean, I've run into people in my life who are like, oh, he doesn't have a traditional, pretty singing voice. And that's not really true. Because when he started out, he had a very strong singer-songwriter voice. Yeah. You know, on his first album, Closing Time. But, you know, then he turned into, like, this, this growling, just animal you know it's just like this this i i don't even know what how to express well, it well
1: it's like a very character voice yes and he looks like he sounds too i mean i heard some story about him showing up at like you know Capitol records or something uh-huh dressed up like you know a hobo and people thought he was one but then it was just like oh no i'm actually here to like you know have a meeting
0: that's awesome
1: <laughs> that was hilarious Um, But he's pretty fantastic, and that album is so evocative, I think. And just having that be kind of like Clementine and Joel's record that they love is pretty cool. Like, it tells you a lot about them. Like, I love that that's like, you know, I I know they cut it out, but that's just interesting to me. You and me have had this discussion before about how when we uh, know what type of music people like it kind of tells us something about them sure we'll have we had a record in our collection at one point that we used as a ringer to like jokingly identify somebody who was lame (laughs) Um, and we
0: can't say what that is
1: no i'm not gonna say what it was because it's i don't think we still have it but you know keeping it a mystery. Yeah, right. But one of my friends actually came over and was like, oh, I love this record. (laughs) And we were like trying so hard not to laugh because I really was friends with this person. I didn't think they were lame, but (laughs) I couldn't believe they picked that record out of the entire collection that we had. It was so funny. Yeah, but you know, music does tell you a lot about the people. And I did think it was funny with that Clash thing with the character of Stan, um, which is Mark Ruffalo, because I feel like he was the kind of person who would say that they liked the Clash.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they're, like, kind of trying to be cool. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he did like them, but he mostly liked them for what it represented. You know, when he was trying to talk of this girl, the Mary
0: character. Um, Kirsten Dunst, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was well, he had a, a very cultivated look. He had that look yeah. of the aloof man from that period. You yeah, know? he
1: had like the fake mohawk, mm-hmm. the black rimmed glasses. Yeah, Yeah.
0: And it was just his whole demeanor. That was his that was his deal. And, and you couldn't tell is this legit or is this kind of fake? Or I don't know. Mark Ruffalo's pretty cool, so he carried it pretty well. Yeah. But um, Maybe too well. Maybe, maybe that's
1: it. Maybe he was too cool and shouldn't have been that cool.
0: Well, when you put him next to Patrick, Elijah Wood. Well, who yeah, he look was good? like, yeah. oh, man.
1: Ugh, yeah.
0: Patrick. It's, well, you know, Patrick is our villain in the film. Definitely. And that's, that's what I... Okay, so let's talk about the shooting style, since we're talking about Patrick. So, at the, at, earlier we talked about how as these memories are being deleted from Joel's brain he is running away with Clementine in his dream to escape and so when they're running away from a memory that that everything around them is being deleted yeah like if they're in a bookstore books will begin to disappear you know, the light will change. Instead of regular lighting, it'll just be like a spotlight in their face. Like it's like, you know, they're trying to escape a prison. You know, and they have the searchlight on them. It 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 turns from just a regular setting into things just being deleted until when there's really nothing else to delete, they just delete the the light. You know, yeah. and it's just like this this faded nightmare in the background it's it's very uh i don't know D- well, talk when to the about.
1: faces start to disappear is when it becomes the most disturbing for me yes many. um the first face that you see disappears just some kind of random lady who's in the office memory mm-hmm. um, when he goes to get his memory deleted the first time but then you come back to that memory again later yeah. and the doctor's face has started to disappear and jim carrey's own face in his mind has started to disappear there And there's another part where he sees Elijah Wood, um, and it was kind of maybe the only time he saw his face, and it looked like his eyes were upside down in the memory, and it was really grotesque. It was very scary, because it's so off-putting that you're looking at something that should be recognizable, and it isn't.
0: Well, the other time he saw Elijah Wood was actually at the Barnes & Noble, and he had heard his voice, but he never saw... The front of the guy's face he was behind a book or some display so when he's in this memory he keeps trying to run around to the front of elijah wood to see his face but when he runs from the back of elijah wood's head to the front it's still the back yeah. because that's all the information well he, has.
1: he keeps grabbing his shoulder to try to turn him around oh. and every time he turns him around he just sees the back of his head still it's like the back of a set goes all the way around, so it's really creepy. Yeah. Um. But it's so smart. Like we kind of touched on that earlier, that this really is such an interesting, and creative way to mimic how the mind works. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was just brilliantly done.
0: Yeah. It it was a plus all around. I've never seen a movie like this. I mean, the very idea of this is not something that when i first think of movies is something that comes to mind you know there probably is something because every idea you know is recycled but i don't know i i feel like this isn't you know
1: i know what you mean i mean for me you know i'm sure there's oh you know there's things that were influential to this movie yeah um but generally i find this to be extremely unique extremely creative out of the box just smart kind of philosophical thinking Mm -hmm. um i don't really think that there are enough philosophical kind of movies that ask these kind of questions yeah but it's like uh, you know philosophy of emotion philosophy of love how do people care about each other and things like this i mean on a simple level (laughs) it reminded me of the song Somebody That I Used to Know. Same here. By Gauthier, because it isn't necessarily that the two, the two people, Joel and Clementine were, well, Joel in particular, part of the problem that he was having that drove him to go get the procedure wasn't necessarily that he wanted to not remember Clementine. It was that he felt so hurt By her not wanting to remember him, that that's what drove him to want to get rid of the memories. Because all the pain that they've gone through in their breakup was nothing compared to the betrayal and pain he felt of her saying that she didn't want to know him anymore. And that's like somebody that I used to know. Like the the chorus of the song says, but you didn't have to cut me off, make out like it never happened, and that we were nothing I don't even need your love, but you treat me like a stranger and it feels so rough. You didn't have to stoop so low, have your friends collect your records and then change your number. I guess that I don't need that though. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. So it's like all the hurt and trauma that they put each other through. It's the fact that she doesn't even know him anymore. Like it destroyed what, what happened. It's like it deleted everything and the Mm -hmm. pain of that was worse than the pain of the breakup
0: well i mean when you bring up somebody that i used to know i mean there are even more connections because we have uh this memory where he talks to carrie and rob and he says that you know i wanted to call her after this fight but you know it wasn't her number anymore.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. So that, that I didn't did, even remember. Yes. That. I caught that tonight. So that's there. And then the other piece of it is, okay. There's also a card that's sent out Yeah. saying, you know, whoever has this procedure done, you know, we'll say John Macy. It'll say, you know, John Macy has had the memory of Joe Smith deleted Please do not bring up Joe Smith to him ever again. He does not know he exists. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and that's just like a card that they send out.
1: It's like it looks like it's a form letter because when he goes into the office, mm-hmm. he sees them printing these out and to be sent out to people because oh, it's part of the process. One other thing that I would say is a connection to that song mm-hmm. is that that song is told from both perspectives. Ah. There's the the beginning section is the man singing um, and you get all of his point of view. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the song, the woman comes in and says, oh, yeah, well, this is why I did that. So, you know, it's it's something where I think you see that in this movie where we really see Joel's perspective, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very clear That, you know, Clementine isn't the bad guy here. Yeah. Neither one of them is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. They both said hurtful things to each other. Yeah. And they both, you know, were responsible for the relationship failing. So I think that that's a really fair kind of perspective.
0: Well, we also have, and I don't know if we've talked about this, at the very end of the film, Mary played by Kirsten Dunst, who works in the Lacuna office, she actually works, uh, and, and I think she's actually putting address labels on envelopes with these letters saying, you know, this person is deleted. We see her doing that. Why that's important is we find out that she is actually a person that has had this procedure done to herself electively because she had an affair with Dr.
1: Mirswick.
0: Thank you. You know, played by Tom Wilkinson and she didn't want to have this memory of their affair anymore. She yeah. wanted to continue working there and and moving on, you know. Yeah. And it the way it turns out is that Dr. Mirswick wife
1: mirrors we act
0: wife <laughs> thank you um actually says to kirsten dunst he you, you don't know you know yeah. you don't know that you used to be together and uh then the doctor has to actually say we have a history
1: yeah and it's very mind opening to mary um she ends up going back to the office mm-hmm. listening to the tape and her own file yep And then she takes all of the records for all of the people they've done this procedure to Mm -hmm. and starts delivering them to them so that they know what has happened. Because what she has realized from her own experience, and this is what we have seen also with Joel and Clementine, Mm -hmm. is that you can take the memory away, but the feeling is still there. Um, And the thing that made that happen is still there because... Mary still has feelings for Dr. Mirzwiak. She's trying not to, but she does. And it is something where she's playing through the same exact scenario Mm -hmm. that she did before her memory was wiped. She wants to impress him. She has these, you know, like almost like an obsessive type crush on him Yeah. where she imagines them being together and being married and having kids and he's a much older guy who's already married and has kids but she has these feelings and she can't stop having them even though they have deleted her memory of what happened
0: well and that's again that's something we see in the film because we see clementine and she is with Patrick, and Patrick is armed with all of Joel's materials about Clementine, all the special things that they did together, you know, their names for each other. You know, he has all of that. Yeah. And they go back to uh, the Charles River. You know, they go back to Boston, and they lay on this icy river, which is terrifying, by the way. <laughs> and uh, they're there, and Clementine's trying to recapture this memory that she had with Joel, right? And Patrick's there and he's got the script, but it's awful for her because it just doesn't do it. Yeah. So I feel like even if this procedure is done, you're going to continue doing the, the same things. That's what we see illustrated. We see that with Mary, right? Yeah. And then then we see that with Clementine. So here is some questions, okay? So let's say that Joel and Clementine did not get this procedure done. Would they have gotten back together?
1: Oh, this is a good question. And I mean, I don't even know if I know how to answer that. I do think that they would have still had feelings. I do think that it would have been a situation where if they stayed apart, they would have been sad still thinking Mm -hmm. about each other. But it's like goes back to kind of what I said at the beginning, which is they had this... Connection. They still had an attraction to each other and a major emotional connection to the point where, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you meet somebody and you have a strong chemistry with them and it almost, you have an immediate intimacy mm-hmm. that's unexplainable. And that happened to them when they first met. Yeah. But it also happened to them when they met the second time after their memories were wiped. So I think they would have had like a strong attraction, a strong emotional connection Still, even though they're broken up, but the fact that they ended up hearing these tapes about what they had said about each other, yeah, I feel is kind of like what could make their relationship actually work because they didn't have the communication. They weren't comfortable saying negative things to each other. And who knows if they will be in the future, but the fact is... Now they've kind of laid bare the very worst things that they have thought and felt about each other, Mm -hmm. and they've decided to move on anyway, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what the catalyst is for them to stay together, and they also know what they're missing now, Yeah, where they didn't, maybe wouldn't have known that if they had just broken up and gone on about their lives, because they would have still had that bitter memory of all the bad feelings that they had about each other
0: well and i think that there's a statement in this which is how do you move on from your memories you, you can't you know erase a person you know by by science you can't erase a person by pretending that they don't exist you just kind of need to let time you know just wash over it let the memory gradually fade so it isn't as strong.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you have a, an immediate memory of something that's just happened, the emotions that you have attached to it are very strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that memory, once it fades, um, well, once it goes away, once you have some distance between yourself and the event your emotions are less a part of what you're feeling like you can think about it more rationally you're not in the moment of being hurt Mm -hmm. Um, unless you have a psychotherapist who's telling you to stop talking (laughs) you can intellectualize it a little bit and kind of see the big picture of why something happened and maybe be able to admit your culpability if there is any and things like that whereas when it's very fresh, it's like what we talked about with grief. Like, grief doesn't go away. You know, we've lost people in our lives, sure. and we still very much miss them. And it's easy to feel really upset about that still. Um, but the at the same time, if the grief is not super fresh and recent, it is something where it kind of changes in quality. And I think that's the thing we would see in this, too. Like, I'm very fortunate that I didn't have any, like, super bad breakups in my life. Yeah. Um, I'm a very weird person in that, (laughs) you know, I had crushes on people or I liked people. One of the funny things that I thought in this was that something Joel says at the very beginning of the movie when he's kind of journaling is that he feels like he falls in love with any person, any woman who shows interest in him. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that too. Like, but only in my head, like before you and I met, I would just be like, you know, creating whole scenarios of somebody, even if they showed any interest to me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I also really did not want to get actually real life involved with somebody Unless I really felt like it was going to happen and go somewhere that was permanent. Yeah. Because I'm just the kind of person that knows that I'm not going to be able to push past something like that if it goes bad. So I kind of am an avoidant personality Mm -hmm. where I would be like, well, I really like this person, but I don't think our relationship would last. So I'm not going to have this relationship. So when I met you... It was different because I really did feel very quickly like you and I had a great connection. We had become friends and been friends over the course of a few months Mm -hmm. before we actually started dating. So I felt very comfortable knowing that, you know, I felt that being with you was a worthwhile investment almost. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, turns out I was correct. Yeah, exactly. I'm like Le Chief. I'm like the Le Chief of Love. <laughs> I believe in a reasonable rate of return. <laughs> you know, most people I think aren't like that. I'm I'm very cerebral in my approach to certain things, emotional things. It's not that I don't feel I do feel quite deeply. But I also am sort of avoidant and protective of myself. So right. I, I tend to not let myself get into a situation where I would be too vulnerable.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I mean it's I, I really have a lot in common with Clementine. We both love orange. We're both, you know, <laughs> you over love an Orange sensitive. hoodie, orange sweatshirt. I, yes, orange anything. <laughs> you know, I I've never dyed my hair. I never really got into that, but she has some very cool hair dyeing things happening in this. I love all the colors she she's a fun personality that's very impulsive you know which i can definitely relate to and also someone that wants to be liked you know you want that acceptance and i'm definitely that person yeah um so i i find that you know with that character i i can really i can really be like okay you know this is the type of person that you know <laughs> you know something goes wrong you're feeling sad Instead of trying to turn it down, let's turn it up. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, It's it makes me think of a, a Sheryl Crow song. If it makes you happy, it's like, uh, listen to Coltrane, derail, derail your, own, your train. own train. Yeah. Or maybe it's derail your own train, no, listen, listen to, Col- to Coltrane. Yeah.
1: Derail your own train. Who hasn't been there before? Boom. You got it. Yeah. So it's,
0: I mean, that's, that's the, the person that, that we've got. I mean, I don't, I'm not the type of person that, is interested in in drinking a lot and that seems to be like a big component of the character so that that's i don't have i don't have that piece no if you replace that with like pizza you know what i mean (laughs) like whenever she's reaching for you know alcohol she's just you know reaching for a slice of roni then (laughs) yeah you know you got me there so it's you know it's interesting that that we have you know, the, like, we're, we, we've we kind of got the opposites here. Um, you know, it, I think that's interesting.
1: Oh, I do, too. And, I mean, I think that's why we maybe really respond to this movie, because you are very Clementine-esque. I mean, the other thing about her is that she's very sensitive. And, yeah. you know, not not, like, overly so, but she feels things very quickly, very intensely, and very deeply. So if yeah. somebody says something that hurts her feelings... She's, like, very hurt by that oh, at yeah. that moment. And, you know, she can't really shake off, like, that reaction, that emotional response. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also, like, full of life. She's one of, the, like, the most full of life people. And I think that's part of Joel's attraction to her. And mm-hmm. I would say that's part of my attraction to you as a person, too. I'm very much like Joel in this. Um, I think I've changed since I've been with you. Um, where I'm not quite as closed off as Joel, because I feel like he's pretty closed off. Yeah. But there's a lot of my life that's happening in my head and not out in the open. I don't think I'm as dreamy as him, because I do think I'm much more in the world. But I think that's probably the difference between an INFP and an INFJ. (laughs) Um, Mm. He's an INF... I think I would consider him, like, INFP with, like, this kind of dreamy, artistic type of person. He's always drawing in his journal, writing in his journal. Yeah. I'm I'm an INFJ, so I have, like, a lot of that intuitive feeling, um, inner life kind of thing going on inside my head, but I'm also quite grounded in reality to the extent that i have, you know, a regular day job and i have a lot of responsibilities and things like that. um so i can function in the real world in a way that i think Joel has a little bit more trouble.
0: With. Yeah. Yeah, it it feels like Joel... I don't know what he does for a living. Does that ever... Is that I don't ever think... I mean,
1: he has a job. He's carrying a little briefcase type thing. So I'm assuming he's like an office worker type, mm-hmm. like myself. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't really define who he is in the least. No, um, his
0: appearance, yeah. it's like... It, it, it makes me think of Casino Royale. You wear the suit with disdain, you know? <laughs> That's what I feel like with Jim Carrey, is he's got on, yeah. you know, his slacks and his sweater and his button down, but he isn't shaved. No. And, you know, and then, like, he's got this kind of long, kind of...
1: Disheveled, kind of yeah. shaggy dog hair.
0: And he's always got, you know, when he has the, the sweater on, he always has, like, one of the uh, one of the collar ends out. Yeah, You know, it's yeah. always, like, it's just like he's doing it, but it's just like doing it in this really <laughs> kind of half-assed way. You know, and it's it's funny, because we talked about the Lacuna employees being like this. But I, I maybe this is just a statement about people that just go to an everyday job that isn't a passion for them. It's possible,
1: yeah. Because, you know, yeah. But I also think it's kind of what I was saying about, like, the inner life being the most important thing like if you look at this movie and think about joel if you just kind of focus on that with him Mm -hmm. he's almost never interacting with someone unless he needs something from them Hmm. um whereas i know i can at least think of one instance in the movie where clementine is just kind of talking to people on the street you know um but joel doesn't choose to like interact with people he's not a people person whereas clementine is very much and her personality type to me reads very enfp which is what you are um which is like this very enthusiastic person who's very um, you know, you go in and you just want to grab life and squeeze the juice out of it, you yes. know? And you like to talk to people and you like to see what their experiences are. And that's like when you feel most alive. It's when you're having like this connection to others. Yeah. You know, and that's what I see with her character. And that's what I think Joel responds to in Clementine so much and she turns around and says to him, which I thought was interesting too, um, there's this whole manic pixie dream girl type of trope mm-hmm. that I think this movie's trying to stomp on. He's kind of trying to put that trope on her. He's kind of trying to define her as like this manic pixie dream girl whose like free spirited ways are going to save him from himself. You know, but she says to him, that's not who I am. Yeah. I'm just trying to be, you know, I'm trying to take care of my own self. And, you know, I'm not here to save you. And, you know, I think that's very, she says that in his memory. So she, they've had that conversation before. And at the end of the movie, they have that conversation again. And it's like, she, she's very reluctant to start a relationship with him without him realizing that she is not perfect. She is not his ideal person in his head. She's a real human being, mm-hmm. and he needs to recognize that. And if he chooses to be with her, then he chooses to be with the real human being who has her own ways and her own definition of herself that's not going to be um, defined by him.
0: first thing comes to mind when I see... Clementine's hair, is Mia Yovovich in The Fifth Element. Lilu. Yes. Yes. Multipass.
1: <laughs> with the orange kind of little wig.
0: Right. And in that film, they really went with that image.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: You know, they went with, you know, this is this, you know, perfect woman that was created. <laughs> and, you know... She's there to be with you, yeah, and to serve you, yeah, and to build you up and to save the world. And you have to look out for her, cause she's gentle. She's
1: vulnerable, and, and she's,
0: she's sexy. Of
1: course, she's everything you want her to be.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's
1: cause she's fake. Exactly, <laughs> and that's
0: you know that's what I think about. I, I don't know what year uh the Fifth Element was. I'm pretty sure it was it was long it was before nineties at yeah. least.
1: I mean. I'm, Pretty sure it came out when I was in college.
0: I, I think you're right. Yeah. So it's like this again, you know, giving us a character, you know, with with, with even a look that suggests Lelou, I, I think that's excellent. Yeah. I'm happy to see it. And I also want to say with Joel and interacting with people, he does interact with his friends Rob and Carrie. Yeah. And that may be why you were thinking that there was a, a family situation there. Because he doesn't really interact with anyone else.
1: Yeah, and I mean, again, this is probably me kind of putting my own self into it a little bit. Because I do identify with the Joel character pretty deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, He... he, I don't have a lot of friends. But when I do really attach to someone, it almost is more of a family kind of a connection. Like when I think about my very close friends... I think of them as family just as much, if not more, sometimes than I think about my own family. Because it's kind of like, these are the people that I've chosen yes. to attach myself to. And that there's a huge weight to that for me when I'm somebody who doesn't really attach myself to people too much. And the funny thing, though, is that, you know, the first scene we see with them, they kind of start arguing And his discomfort goes, like, off the charts, where he just, like, doesn't want to be there because it's, like, near impossible, I think, for him to deal with their strife. Like, it bugs him too much because it pulls him into something he doesn't want to be a part of. It makes him very tremendously uncomfortable. Um, which that kind of stuff happens to me all the time. <laughs> like mm. I'm constantly being dragged into people's drama, and I don't want to be there. Sure. So I get it. Um, but well, yes, it, that that really is the only time besides Clementine that we see him attaching or associating with somebody on a deeper level.
0: Well, and he has he has boundaries. When we see you know Clementine and Joel on the train, she keeps getting very close into his personal space and it's making him very uncomfortable
1: yeah well she's kind of tactile which you are
0: too
1: mm-hmm. um and uh you're a hugger yep. and you like you know people um and he is very much uncomfortable with that yeah because it it is just an invasion of personal space to him And he's also just afraid. Again, I'm telling you, I really associate with this person because this character is so me um, with his avoidance. Like, at the beginning, we later find that this meeting between them, which seems like it's their meeting for the first time, is actually them meeting after their memories have been erased. But she's instantly, like super interested in him and wanting to talk to him and he's very interested in her too but he's extremely afraid of that like he likes her so much that he's terrified um he keeps saying that he needs to leave he needs to stop talking to her he needs to go somewhere else yeah and the first night that you and i kind of expressed our interest in each other i did the same thing i was like okay yes i like you i'm gonna go now (laughs) because it's like you're scared you're scared to be open and i think that we see that with him here is that he's terrified that he likes someone this much
0: yeah i i can i can really see that
1: so real so amazing and yeah, for me to say that Jim Carrey kills it in this role is me saying something because I do really see myself in that character so much, the character of Joel, so, so, so much. And I don't always see characters that I identify with that much, but they did such a beautiful job writing this person, yes, making him seem real, and then the way that Jim Carrey brings it to life is just fantastic and again I don't think there is a single time that I've watched Kate Winslet in something where I didn't like her I think she's phenomenal Mm -hmm. but I think that this is one of my favorite things she's ever done I I agree and not just because she has awesome hair color in it it was really weird to me that they kept talking about Valentine's Day In the movie, since we didn't remember that at all.
0: No, and that came up so many times at the beginning. You know, the neighbor Mm -hmm. sees Joel and is like, you have plans for Valentine's Day? It's coming up fast, you know? And she writes her phone number on his hand
1: and says, call me and tell me how Valentine's Day or something like that. So we were just like, what? We picked this out of the blue. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen this for a long time. No. I would consider this one of my favorite movies, but... I think because it's so emotional, it's just, like, not something I can watch every day. You know what I mean? It's not like I whip this one out like The Princess Bride just for a good time. It's more of, like, a strategic pick. You know, when I really want to feel something, which is not that often. (laughs) um, Because I'm avoiding it. But this maybe I, I honestly might think this is, like, in my top five movies of all time.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's I love the movie. I can't say off the top of my head that I would put it in my top 5 movies of all time, but I will tell you that this is one of the strongest romantic comedies that well, I've ever seen. Not that it's romantic, really a comedy. Romantic
1: just romance. Yeah,
0: like it, it's like I don't know what category. Yeah, cuz this, this isn't like when Harry met Sally. No. This is its entire own thing. But I feel like you've got a perfect garden that's just observed. I feel like, you know, there was a lot of time taken, you know, to work the land and plant the seeds and water them just right and just allow them to grow. Yeah. And I feel that the relationships between all of the, the actors in this is purely organic. Nothing feels out of place you know even yeah no even the the small things right like i mean when uh you know mark ruffalo and kirsten dunst are like smoking this joint and talking about the clash how many times you know have have, were you in college or were you at a party and there's there's this situation where people are just getting really philosophical you know and they they want to talk about you know what they're doing and you know, it, it's just like, okay, cool. You know, and how they're rebelling when they have like a day job <laughs> and like they're, you know, just literally like torching people's brains for a so living. Funny. Right. So it's a very uh, it's a very good film in, in that respect. And also I feel that Elijah Wood is so damn despicable. <laughs> That, again, it just it keeps you moving. It's just another yeah, huh? element. Like, I did not want him to win. Oh, God, no. And I was like, does Patrick win? And back of my head, because, again, it's been a while. I thought that the ending of this movie was different. I thought that the ending of this movie was that they met on the train again. And they just kind of saw each other.
1: Mm, oh.
0: Yes. That was what I had in my head. I was like, they just see each other on the train after they've had, you know, this discussion. And then they've heard each other's, you know, like innermost thoughts on each other, which are so Heartful. piercing. yeah. yeah. They're and, sharp.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And that they couldn't handle the situation. And then they just ran into each other, you know, like the next day or a few days later on public transportation that was my memory it could have gone
1: that way you know it could have gone so many ways i'm yeah. glad it went the way it did absolutely because that's really what puts it into my top five um but i i don't know just everything about this movie comes together for me the characters the story the way it's told the the philosophical aspect of it because i really love that stuff hmm you know, I can sit down and have a philosophical discussion with somebody for hours and hours. And that's just my favorite thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not even that big on talking to people unless it's like a super deep conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the one time that I am interested. So I just, all of those things come together. It's so well written. It's so well envisioned and brought to life. Yeah. And, you know, you can just see the point of view. And it's funny, actually, that you were talking about genre um, and talking about, you know, romantic comedy, because I read that Michelle Gondry did tell Kate Winslet that it's a comedy Mm -hmm. and told her to go very broad with everything. And he would also privately on the other end tell Jim Carrey this is a, a drama and he had to play it completely straight. Yeah. So it's like, even though they totally were being told they're in a separate kind of a movie how amazing did they come together
0: beautifully and it's i i think that michelle gondry that this is a thing i think that he likes to take people that are known for being big and funny and getting them to dial down yeah. because that's that's what he did with me. He was like, I really like what you're doing here. You know, this is good. But then you do this smile at the end and it's too big. And then I lose interest, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, and it that's was funny, but I, lo- but it was perfect again. Cause the guy was so specific. You're like, all right, got it. Well, and then, I, he, you know, it was, it I thought out. you
1: were fantastic in that too. I Aww, was just thank you. so proud of you and so happy for you, thank you. because that was just such a great scene. And you actually got to play a character, you know, it wasn't just some throwaway little thing. It's like a real character. Yeah. You had some meaning and feeling and it was just a cool scene and you did a really good job. So yeah, I hope everybody will, you know, pop out and watch that episode of Kidding. Um, Just see what John did Um, because he did such a good job and it's really worth seeing. So do you have anything else you want to add about Eternal Sunshine?
0: I do, but it's kind of a heavy note, but I, I'm going to move through it quickly. One of the other things that I thought about is if we're dealing with a person that has Alzheimer's or dementia that is is losing yeah. these memories. And, you know, that would be a situation where the person doesn't want to lose these memories either. Mm. And they're they're trying to hang on to them. And, you know, you have these memories get jumbled. And that is something, you know, I've, I've experienced firsthand.
1: Right. Yeah. Because
0: my father, you know, when, when he was towards the end, thought I was his brother. Yeah. And th- this, was, this was a constant. And it reminded me of how Joel just kept trying to hide Clementine and other memories. Like they went back to when he was a kid playing under the table in his mother's kitchen.
1: Yeah, and he kept losing rationality in those scenes. Yes.
0: Yep. Where he would,
1: if he was thinking about being a little kid, he started feeling and acting like a little kid, mm-hmm. and just having like instinctual feelings and responses because he what didn't have this well developed adult brain. Yeah. And that was really crazy. I, I love the way that they did that, and it made a lot of sense to me. And. I really see what you're saying uh, about this kind of dementia thing because I felt like at the beginning of the movie, um, after the credits roll, so after, you know, it would have been immediately after he left from the doctor's office and was going home and was going to have the procedure that night. Yeah. He had like this severe disorientation Mm -hmm. where they had done the MRI and gone through all these memories and stuff. And then he had to take this pill and he seemed to be going through almost that kind of dementia feeling and, and loss of sense of place and who he was and all these kind of things.
0: Yeah. And it ties in with with the shooting style and also this idea You know, that they're zapping memories away. Yeah. And, you know, and that would happen. He would end up in a place after everything around him, every person, every object had been eliminated. And he would just end up in like an empty space. Just disoriented and not knowing
1: what he was doing. And scared. Very afraid. And, uh, yeah, that was, that is heavy, but I definitely think they were going for that.
0: It's, I, I mean, it's a beautifully crafted film. It's yeah. a beautifully crafted film. So, uh, yeah, I did want to say that because that, that's something that that came up. Um,
1: that's a huge point. I think. I'm really glad you
0: made it. Yeah, it, it's it's just something where you see it, especially if you've been through it, you know, firsthand, then you, you see this. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, again, there's so much to this film that they were able to pack in. Yeah. You know, we've got, we've got some heavy drama in this, you know, we've got yeah. some very heavy drama in this and there are some laughs, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, it's mostly, I would say a romance.
1: It's a romance and it's just, yeah, a romance with some drama and comedy elements, yep. but it feels very real, Everything. like the realism of it. Which is kind of funny to say, because, you know, 50% plus of the movie is spent in almost this dreamlike state. Right. But the reality of that dreamlike state is so true to me. Like, there's a lot of truth in this movie.
0: Well, here's another one, and and this ties in. Okay, when Joel is in the bed in his apartment... And they're doing the procedure on him. And he's decided that he doesn't want it anymore. He is out on the ice, down on his knees, screaming for them to stop. And what do we see? We cut to, you know, Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst just kind of dancing on the bed or doing whatever they're doing. And that, to me, felt like they were saying, I mean, this is harsh. Like It's like an uncaring god You know, like you just, you have, you know, these, these things that that you pray to. And I mean, I believe in God, so I'm not going to say I don't, but you know, it's like you have this belief and you're praying with all your heart. And what if, you know, it was just these people that just didn't care about you?
1: Well, that's King Lear. I mean, there's a line in King Lear that Gloucester says, like, flies to wanton boys are we to the gods they kill us for sport
0: perfect yeah that's it right there i mean and that's yeah uh, that's that's perfect yeah i i love this film i i would love to just dissect it for a million years because there's a bunch
1: i mean there's so much it's just it is like you know the funny thing is like i studied shakespeare and you studied theater Mm -hmm. so you know chopping up a play or a story is something that you know we've been trained to do. Yeah. Um big time and something we also really enjoy doing to bring out the component parts and understand why something works and understand all the different ways it could go. Mhm. And because this movie is really philosophical and just asks a lot of real questions, like big questions about life, about love, about memory, about pain, about grief, this is just like food to us.
0: This is a banquet.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which.
0: Speaking of which.
1: Do you have a food? A comfort food. That you would associate with this movie?
0: I would associate this film with a big meal like we would get on New Year's on the East Coast from one of the Chinese
1: restaurants. Oh, okay. Oh, I almost went that way myself. Woo! Because I think that they do have that a couple of times in this movie that they're eating Chinese food. Um, and it's like those tiny corn ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is funny, because we used to have a friend who really hated those. Mm. Like He hated the very idea that they existed. Mm. But I actually love them. Um, But yeah, I think that's interesting. And it makes sense, because this movie has all the flavors. You know, like Chinese food has all the different flavors. Salty sweet, umami, you know, bitter, sour. And that's what this movie has too. And that's kind of what life offers you as well um my food is weird uh, but I feel like this movie makes me think of a snow cone um like in particular a rainbowy one Mm -hmm. that you get like the fair or somewhere so you have like the shaved ice and then you have like your flavors that you can pick Mm-hmm. And the flavors are also always in those super bright colors. Oh. Like Clementine's hair. That's awesome. So I think about having like this rainbow snow cone, mm-hmm. and it's sweet, but it's also super cold. And they're on the ice, you know, and the poster for this movie is them lying on the ice. Yes. And then there's another part of it where they're like actually playing in the sand and snow in Montauk. Mm -hmm. and, like, they're, like, falling into it, and the snow is, like, crusting onto them and stuff. So I think about, like, that frostiness of a snow cone. That's Uh, perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for our Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind episode. Mm -hmm. Loved talking about this movie. Same here. It's so great. We will be back. We will return uh, next week, and I think we're kind of planning... To do a little bit of a superhero series for a few weeks. So, a hard pivot (laughs) from what we've been doing recently. And we haven't really done any superhero related things, I don't think. So, uh, we're going to do that in the lead up to the release of the new Batman Mm -hmm. film, which we're both interested in and excited about. We both are pretty big fans of Batman.
0: And we just got tickets today. So, we're looking forward
1: to that. And between now and then, uh, We'll talk about possibly another Batman Mm -hmm. um, adaptation or two, um, but for sure some superhero fun, um, which will be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Piff. Pow. Zowie. (laughs) Piff. Uh, Oh, yeah, right. Is it Biff? Biff.
1: Pow. So we look forward to discussing that with you starting next week. Yep. Until then.
0: Stay comfy.
1: Stay comfy.